the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics for today's show on how we get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in tech and the amazing work of the international nonprofit Women Who Code. Our phones are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So you can give us a ring and we'd love to know, are you working in tech? Want to work in tech? Need advice about how to get into tech? Today is the show for you. We'd also just like to hear your own experiences of how you're diversifying your workforce. So give us a ring, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also write to us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com and follow us on Twitter at BizRadio132. So according to the Office of the Chief Economist 2017 report, women comprise 47% of the U.S. workforce. But... Guess how many of us are in STEM fields? 24% of the workers in STEM fields are actually women. Does this sound like the right ratio to you? Doesn't to me. Because what it really means is that more, we should have double our numbers in tech to have equal representation. And there's clearly a lot of reasons why that's not happening. And my guest today has made it her mission to change that statistic and make women's equal presence in tech a far-gone conclusion rather than a pipe dream. Elena Percival is the CEO of Women Who Code. Under her leadership, Women Who Code has grown to serve more than 137,000 women in 20 countries and 60 cities across the globe. This thriving organization offers more than 1,500 free technical and leadership events per year and a host of other kinds of information and networking opportunities. In addition to her role at Women Who Code, Elena has been a speaker at Code Motion Milan, Grace Hopper, Columbia University Social Enterprise, MIT's Venture Capital and Innovation Conference, and more. And prior to her work with Women Who Code, she worked at Puma's headquarters in Germany as well as Riviera Partners and Snippet, acquired by Yahoo. Elena is an angel investor and a CodePath advisor. And we are so fortunate to say our guest today. So, Elena, welcome to Women at Work. Hi, thank you very much for having me today. Oh, it is our pleasure. So, Elena, let's start with how do you define Women at Work, Women Who Code's mission? Yeah, our mission is to inspire women to excel in technology careers because we envision a world where women are representative as technical executives, as founders, as venture capitalists, board members, and of course, as software engineers and through a pathway of reaching those technical women. I love that mission, that it's not just to be in STEM fields, but to excel. Tell me what excelling means to you. Yeah, excelling is... um, Participating in your career throughout the lifetime of your career, um, reaching your career goals, moving up at a at a pace that is um, is normal within your organization, or even you know accelerated, and seeing women representative in those leadership positions. Right now, we have um, a data point where women are leaving the tech industry after about 10 years mid-career at a rate of 56%. And if you leave your career mid-career, you're not going to make it to those, those senior levels. Certainly not. We know that's one of the major leaks in the pipeline. Why do you see so many women leaving, particularly at that point in time? What, uh, what, 
women have noted in the tech industry is uh, really feeling as though their careers are beginning to stall at the same time that they're seeing their male counterparts' career excel. And what I really see it comes down to is um, unconscious bias. And so there's, you know, there's bigger issues to tackle, but it's the little tiny things that add up day by day that kind of make you feel as though you don't belong or that you're excluded. And it might be something that's, uh, that's really clear and you're a high-performing um, software engineer and then you bring an additional skill where you can speak with other engineers, get them excited about the project and encourage them to jump on your, to your team. And what will happen is um, a female engineer in that position would Someone would say to her, oh, have you thought about recruiting instead of saying, hey, why don't we promote you to lead uh, because you are bringing this extra skill set. And so, um, you know, it's it's a lot of little things that kind of add up day by day. And, um, you know, if you complained about just one of them, you'd be the weird person who complained. <laughs> right. But it's really a landscape where all these things happen. It sounds like you're talking in particular about mommy tracking or where women are often shunted into HR marketing roles, kept out of P&L ro- roles and core coding roles. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happens is when you when our community shows an aptitude uh, for bringing additional skills into their role, they're often you know pushed. Hey, have you thought about marketing? You know, have you thought about product? Have you thought about HR? Versus saying, wow, this person has so much potential um, or has so many skills, we should pay them more or promote them, and that's that's what their male counterparts hear. So, do you think how much of it is? Um, the emergence of additional skills, because men have the additional skills, too, and aren't shunted into um, non-leadership roles. And how much of it is um, unconscious bias and zero-sum thinking? Yeah, it's it's how people react to those skills. Um, women, when they exhibit additional skills, they um, are, you know, viewed as, you know, have you thought about doing this instead, um, where that's that's just something that um, you know, no male engineer who's um, showing leadership skills, who um, has a strong understanding of the product or can really help, um, you know, non-engineering people understand what, what they're doing. Nobody says to them, hey, why don't you do this instead? They, they get pushed up in, in their roles. And so it's there's this kind of sh- soft shuttle out for a lot of women at that point, or they're not getting raises, right? Exactly. And at this point, you know, there's so much opportunity in the tech industry. Um, it, it, we can't afford to lose anyone. And <laughs> it's true. Really, what we're looking at is um, the market is going to be 600,000 engineers shy of its needs in just the next couple of years. 600,000? So that's 600,000 vacant spots. Exactly. And and every um, company that I'm talking to, you know, hiring is 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 a huge challenge for them. And so, you know, if we're um, encouraging people to leave or not having an avenue to come back, if they have left for one reason or another, um, it's it's a huge market opportunity um, that really needs to be uh, considered and filled it's by, a, by companies. I need to pause for a moment because I'm really wowed by that number. Um, one of the things that we know often drives um, so, uh, subconscious bias um, is zero-sum thinking, the idea, the misperception that if um, 
another woman advances that a man won't get that opportunity. And so it becomes competitive. We even see that kind of zero-sum thinking behind the queen bee dynamic that we've noticed before, where if there's an underrepresented group, they may feel there's only one place for the underrepresented and people get competitive. But with 600,000 open spots, that's a screaming reminder that the zero-sum thinking really doesn't belong here. No, and it's the fastest-growing sector, so, you know, that's just the beginning. Those are the numbers that we have today, and so the the opportunity continues to grow. Now, part of the mission of—tell me why it's important to get more women in tech, aside from the fact that these are—they're good jobs. They pay well. And what are the reasons why you think we need more women in the industry? Yeah, I mean, it it matters to teams because when there's diversity on a team, there's a, a greater collective intelligence. It matters to companies because companies actually uh, experience a higher return on investment when there are women at the executive level, and we see that in small startups, and we see that in Fortune 500 uh, companies. We see that in the data. It matters to the individual because these are roles that are paying much higher than average. Uh, if you look at any you know, top uh, professions uh, to get into several um technology positions are going to be at the top of those Mm -hmm. top 10 lists. And it also matters to um, the world because these high-paying jobs, uh, when women make more money, they reinvest 90% of that money into their community and their family. So there's this cycle um, of, of giving back. So there's a a big ripple effect here. It's both the quality of the work experience for the people who are there, um, the economic vitality of the the women themselves, but also the products that we produce. Exactly. Because we need the diversity on the team. For the 44% that are not leaving mid-career, what's different about them? Why are the women who are sticking it out sticking it out? What's helping them succeed? Yeah, um... You know, that's that's an area that Women Who Code is really looking to serve and, of course, grow. Um, but, you know, finding finding a mentor, finding um, career opportunities, um, you know, not having the opportunity to leave might even uh, be uh, a contributing factor. And, um, you know, having a, having a really good team around you as well as the individual personal drive of, of the person. But... You know, we want someone to feel as though they don't need to transform themselves um, to compete uh, long term in the workforce. So just to reflect that, that 44 percent, it includes some women who are um, actually don't have the luxury or the escape hatch to go who might if they did. And then others who are finding a way to navigate the challenging terrain. Exactly. And I mean, when you look at um, aggregate women leaving their careers, it's a much, much higher number than you see um, across other industries. And so it's a better industry, I would say, uh, for women to be in it. You've got high um, levels of job opportunity. It's well-paying. It's very flexible. And so it's it actually, you know, should be an industry that people are um, staying in and uh, excelling in. And also, as a note to something you said earlier, when women are in these roles in tech within large organizations, and if they accept the invitation or the temptation in some cases to be pulled out into new roles in marketing, say, or HR, those are often different pay scales. 
So even if they are sometimes promoted or Mm -hmm. at the very least moving laterally, they could find that their opportunity to make money in the long run is lower because the tech staff will be paid at a different rate because it's such a competitive field. They'll be paid at a different rate, and the opportunity um, is clearly in the software engineering field and, and software engineering leadership because that that's what's growing. What we're seeing is absolutely every industry is becoming a technology industry. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in you know media or shipping, construction, finance, healthcare, fashion, all of these Everything. industries are becoming yeah. technology industries. Yeah, even research. We're desperate for coders. As an analyst, a huge exactly. asset to the work that we do. Um, so as you – tell me about when you stepped up to the helm of Women Who Code. How did you land here? Yeah. Um, so um, I actually didn't start off in the tech industry. I started off uh, working for Puma, um, focusing on their niche products. And I then went to work for a really small women's performance footwear company where we uh, launched the first ever women-specific volleyball and basketball shoe simultaneously. I um, was moving into that women's empowerment space as well as, you know, it was a very tiny company and Nike and Mizuno were our competitors. And so we really had to think outside of the box. And then, you know, the Bay Area was just always one of those places if you get the opportunity to move there, to go ahead and do it. And so (laughs) when I moved out to San Francisco, I said, hey, you know, I really want to give this tech thing a try. And I I honestly uh, struggled in my transition because I'd had a a really strong career, um, but I hadn't been coming immediately from, you know, Facebook or uh, Google. And so I had to begin to develop new skills and um, really learn more about the technology industry and that's how I was becoming involved and uh, I was learning to code and I had side projects. It was a very uh, San Francisco lifestyle and I started uh, devoting more and more time to this, you know, this little idea called Women Who Code, the small community group and at some point, um, you know, I sat back with a couple of other people and we just realized, hey, you know, a lot of other people around the world deserve to have this as well. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this risk. I'm going to step out of um, my, my current career path and, um, you know, see where this goes. And, you know, it was really difficult for me to do because I knew how to code, uh, but my career wasn't as a software engineer. And I, I was bringing my own, you know, um, you know, is it okay if I do this? And I, I just had to tell myself, you'll bring the organization and you'll bring um, the people in it forward if you're willing to take this risk and step into this role. And so it was, you know, it was really a, a journey of, um, you know, devoting years and years to, to doing this and saying, you know, this is actually worth it. Oh, it's totally worth it. By the way, you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest this hour is Elena Percival, CEO of the nonprofit Women Who Code. If you've got a question about how you can enter tech, how you can make your way up the ladder, or help make it better for other women in your organization, give us a call. 
Even if you just want to share a story, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. So, Elena, there are a lot... One. A wonderful thing that's going on right now, whether it's lean-in circles or small groups, book clubs, is that, you know, women organize. Women get together. They make small communities. Um, But there's something amazing and powerful when that small community of women in the city where you live turns into a global organization. That doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen by accident. How did you take your community and turn it into this not-for-profit organization? Um, yeah, so it's it's a, a series of, of trial and error, but really hitting the right thing at the right moment in time. Um, you know, Women Who Code had developed as a local grassroots community group, and at that time, there was a pickup um, in the media around teaching girls to code mm-hmm. and teaching women to code. And so I saw this huge, you know, uh, risk, which... I approached as an opportunity because the people in the industry, the women in the industry, were already reporting being viewed as more junior than they were, having to prove themselves. And so if people are being inundated with this great message of teach women to code, teach girls to code, it became a risk to the women in the industry of already um, uh, of being viewed as even more junior than they actually were. And so we said, hey, you know, we need to elevate the needs of the women in the industry. We can see they're leaving. We can see they're not uh, representative at the executive level. There's um, all of these things that companies need to be doing better, um, better for themselves and better for their employees and better for recruiting. And so we're going to go ahead and elevate that conversation and tackle it. And so what were the tactical steps that you took to get there? Because the mission is clear and so compelling. Um, but how how did you organize? How did you grow? How did you get an audience? Funding? Yeah, um, we, we stay uh, very true to, to our, or, our, our grassroots origins and um, really developing and empowering uh, leaders around the world. This is a skill-based volunteer position. Uh, we support 195 contracted directors around the world. And what happens is... These are the women on the ground uh, creating uh, an average of five free technical events every single day throughout the year. But what happens for them is they they become leaders in the tech industry. They get press mentions. They get um, direct lines of um, conversation to executives inside of their organization. More than 50% of them experience a promotion in the first year of being a leader with with women who code. And so what happens is these high potential women um, begin to get skills that they aren't getting in their day job that allow them to accelerate their career. This is really exciting and interesting because we've talked a lot on Women at Work about um, the power of volunteering. Um, We've mostly focused on it for women who are out of the workforce and looking for ways to re-engage, and that volunteering is a way to update your resume, um, refresh your network, get exposed to new ways of doing things. But in this case, this is volunteering for women who are employed in the industry, but by 
volunteering in this capacity and planning um, the activities and doing the outreach, they become more visible themselves. So they're not only creating opportunity for other women, but also advancing their own careers. Exactly. I had um, a woman who's a leader recently tell me she was interviewed by SpaceX, and one of the things they specifically said in the interview was that they were particularly interested in her because of her Women Who Code leadership experience. I had another um, director from um, Mexico City, and under one year, have her salary increased by 200%. Oh, my God. 200%? That's amazing. Yeah. These are the, um, you know, the stories that every single one of our, our leaders are experiencing. So how do you find these amazing people? Um, they apply at this point. So um, we have an application process to become a Women Who Code leader on womenwhocode.com, whether it exists in your city or um, if you want to launch it in your city. You can also go to a Women Who Code event and let any leader um, at the event, let them know that you're interested in stepping up and they can, they can point you to um, how to start getting involved. This is very similar to how I got involved in Girls on the Run, and it amazed me to see the power that this kind of volunteer leadership can have, especially as it starts to mobilize. Yeah, it's it's volunteering, so it is that amazing giving back, but it's highly skill-based volunteering, and so you really get a rich um, skill set that we've, we've had um, executives at companies describe to us as, you know, going to um, a very reputable business school um, <laughs> for but really a practical application and how much it accelerated their career. What kind of skills are you looking for in these volunteers? Really, we've seen um, people step into the role who are a technical CEO at a company that employs um, close to 100 people. We saw a software engineer who was not even uh, 20 years old uh, step into the role. And honestly, they, they both uh, were very successful and have had their, um, their careers and their uh, goals impacted by being women who code leaders. But the one thing that is really consistent is really having um, uh, the mission resonate with you of wanting to see women excel in their technology careers and being willing to invest in that and by doing that investing in, in their themselves. And the exciting thing about it is it has a ripple effect because everyone who who participates in these programs, they bring that into their day job. And you know, when they stop being a woman who code leader, they bring that forward in their career. So you have that, that ripple effect that is uh, helping to change the industry. It suggests that once you become part of Women Who Code and Women Who Code Leader, that goes with you wherever you go. It changes exactly. how you see your relationship to other women and the way that you support each other. Exactly. So while you are um, recruiting and placing these volunteers, um, what measures do you have to help them grow, to evaluate them, to make sure that programs are being delivered uh, with a level of quality that you want to see? And we have a fairly extensive onboarding process and training process so that when you apply to be a Women Who Code leader, you are um, being, you understand um, what it means. You understand, um, you know, how to handle different various uh, situations that you understand and re respect the 
brands that's empowering you um, so much. And then we also really give you a lot of flexibility. So while we train you in many things, there's also it's, it's your job to listen to your local community and uh, develop rich programming around the needs of um, the people in your individual uh, city. Right, because after all, leading isn't where you want to go. It's taking people where they want to go. Exactly. So what does training include? What are you covering? Um, that's, uh, that's a great question. We're actually going to be expanding our leadership training so it can go uh, internal at companies um, starting this year. It's something that we've been testing, and that's how we, we really um, could see the impact of uh, our, our leaders getting promoted internally and, and really what it meant for their careers. And so, um, one, you are um, learning, you know, about what women who go, the way we um, work, the way we produce events. And what we do is it, it sneaks in things that aren't comfortable for engineers in a way that feels good. So we are teaching you how to um, do public speaking. We are teaching you mm. how to um, organize and manage a team. And these aren't things that if you went to any engineer and said, hey, I want to teach you how to organize a team, and I want to teach you how to network, and I want to teach you how to be a public speaker. These are all things that they would say, ooh, I'm going to sit over here, and I'm going to continue to code. <laughs> right. Um, what happens is it feels good, and it's fun, and you're part of a community. And so these are, are skills that um, you're learning and building, and um, you're also learning to be comfortable with being a leader. That's a huge thing that, that we've seen is, um, you know, women have a barrier to just stepping into a, a leadership position and calling themselves a leader. And so I even had one leader um, say to me, you know, she actually ended up in her position because uh, the leader was late and she'd been a regular at the event. And she said to herself, oh, you know, I, I actually know what she's going to do. I can probably just go ahead and, and get things started today. So she said she stood at the front of that room. She, you know, got the process for, for the event going. And just the people in the rooms, um, the way they treated her, uh, enabled her to be able to see herself differently. It's really and amazing. That, it's like you've got benefits on three levels. So there's what the volunteers bring to the people that they're serving. There's the way that their own visibility increase, not to mention this whole set of skills. We need to take a short break, but stay with us. Elena is here for the whole hour, and we're happy to take your calls at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. Here again is Laura Zarrow. 
Welcome back to Women at Work, our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and my guest today is Elena Percival, the CEO of Women Who Code, an amazing organization dedicated to helping women advance in all areas of technology up to really senior levels. Um, so, Elena, before the break, we were talking about the work that of Women Who Code, and one of the questions I have, because you've got this community that you're serving. Um, who are they? What do they look like? Where do they come from? How old are they? Yeah. So our community, um, the average age is actually uh, 30. And the majority of them are already in software engineering positions. Uh, we also have uh, a large number of executives and people who are in management. Of course, we cover data science and design. But we've identified about 25% of our community as other. And these are people who are involved in our community because um, technology will help them do better at their job. So if they're a solutions architect or a consultant, you know, having a little bit of technical knowledge is going to help them to be better at their job, or they're considering transitioning into software engineering positions. So I would imagine that um, you practice what you preach, that you're creating, it sounds like, an inclusive organization. How do you help? Um, now, granted, while the average member is 30 years old, you have mature women. You have women of color, um, people on the gender spectrum. How do you help create a safe place for those various identities within the organization? Um, you know, at the most basic level, it's it's in our code of conduct. So it's it's very important to us, you know, since the beginning that this is a safe place for all women and women are 50% of the population and they look very different and have very different backgrounds. Um, what we really encourage people to do is, um, you know, be part of a community. And what we do is, you know, showcase uh, people in leadership positions and as technologists who you know, represent our community, our very diverse community. Um, and then we also create uh, in-person events that are there for you um, all year long. So you might go to one single conference, and it feels amazing. But what happens the next month? And Women Who Code is there, you know, throughout the year. And what that does is help to build a sense of belonging. So whatever it is you're overcoming, you can find that 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 safe space to discuss it. And it might be something very small of, um, you know, I feel overlooked or this comment just felt like it didn't, you know, work for me. Um, was this a microaggression or am I being fill in the blank? And so what happens is, you have that space to connect with other people um, who are in your community, who are, um, you know, in a place where you're being told to be um, more sensitive um, to the needs of your community than usual. But it honestly just happens uh, organically, and people are typically uh, very happy to help you, um, you know, think through things. And I like to use the example of... Um, uh, one executive told me, technology executive told me, uh, you know, a Frenchman had come into the room and they were having an architecture discussion. And he actually said, oh, um, you know, I've never had to explain architecture to a woman. 
And uh, the executive said, you know, it's exactly the same. You know, I, I, I'm going to understand it. I'll please proceed. <laughs> and it's easy to say, oh, you know, he, he – there was something external there. It wasn't me. But when it's a little more subtle, it's, it's harder to um, realize that, you know, that it's a microaggression or that it's in, you know, something that is an unconscious bias that is a barrier to your um, feeling as though you belong or succeeding in the company. And so those are places where you can, you can work through um, some of those, those things that feel small, but they are huge in, in your uh, succeeding in, in your career. I'm I'm taken by the use of the term microaggression because it's important, and um, I have a question regarding it. You know, so often um, we the women express that they had an experience that made them feel like something was happening, but they either didn't have a vocabulary for it, they couldn't place their fingers on it, they didn't feel like that could actually be real. Um, you know, we hear a lot of it through the Me Too, hashtag MeToo movement of women finding ways to express how shocked they were as different trespasses occurred and almost without language to express it, never mind um, all of the fear that came around once you had the language and you tried to express it. So when you've got women all over the world, some of them actually relatively young, um, are you finding that everyone's conversant about these topics? Or are you introducing them to these themes so that they have a way of talking about it? Um, you know, there's certainly some... Um, some spaces where we encourage the conversation. But what we find is that it, it, it happens um, in the community. It happens, you know, when you just are, you're showing up for an event that focuses technology, but you're connecting with someone who feels like a friend. And, it, you know, it's networking, which to a software engineering um a typical software engineer, you know, it's it's maybe an uh, uncomfortable idea, but when you meet someone in the industry who has similar experiences to you, who can help you in your career, who can be your friend, you know, that's networking, but it feels good. <laughs> Is there anything special that you guys do to help create a tone of inclusion and welcome people in who otherwise might be a little introverted? Yeah, so some of the things that we've often done, um, you know, since the beginning with in-person events is, of course, if it's very small, kind of go around and do an introduction with a silly question that helps to uh, break the ice about who you are. Also, you know, welcoming people and encouraging them um, to kind of sit with people who might be working on similar projects, making those introductions um, at the at the in-person level. And, you know, just having an environment where, um, you know, a sense of belonging and a, a sense of grassroots community um, really is is part of who we are. It's part of our, our DNA at our events. And so, um, you know, I, you know, we meet the person who doesn't know, you know, she's incredibly talented. She has a master's degree, but she doesn't know what to do um, next. And, you know, she meets someone at an event and says, you know, just apply to 10 jobs. You know, if you you're going to get you're going to get one of the 10 jobs and um you know it and just kind of counseling people being a friend to someone and it it's not even intentional it's just highly experienced people sitting in a room together um you know with 
aligns with with one goal, and that's seeing women excel in technology careers. So part of it seems to be around, about moral support. Some of it's information, and some of it is also um, ways to teach each other about the opportunities that are available to them. Exactly. Um, and part of the learning experience is the teaching experience, and that's something we've we've emphasized since the beginning as well. Um, so, you know, that's that's very much built into to our events and encourages, uh, you know, um, building connections. How, is there any difference in how the groups operate um, that are located in other countries? Yeah, so there's similarities and differences. It's amazing to me when, you know, when I go to an event in uh, Bangalore or, you know, in Berlin, you you see that that um, that feeling and that experience. But we experience very different challenges in um, different cities. Uh, for example, uh, since I brought up Bangalore, uh, you know, we have to be very conscious, of course, everywhere, um, but in some specific cities about the safety of our members getting home. Our events typically mm-hmm. take place in the evening after work. And so if um, you're in a, a huge city that has issues around uh, safety for for women leaving um, at uh, nine o'clock at night and having a one to two hour commute isn't going to work in that community. So you have to come up with other other ways of uh, delivering programming and um, ways of delivering programming at different times. How do you learn about this as the CEO of this, you know, wide stretched organization? Um, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons uh, Women Who Code has such a global focus is because it's been a passion of mine. I've um, I've lived abroad. I've traveled to uh, over 70 countries. Um, understanding uh, different cultures and the needs of different cultures is, is very important to me. Uh, but we also learn from our, our leaders. Uh, it very quickly will come up, um, you know, what differences need to take place. You know, we... We had to be very strategic when we when we launched into um, a couple of cities in China because uh, there's uh, platforms that we use that don't exist there. Mm-hmm. There's um, cultural and um, really political rules that that don't exist in other places as well. Yeah, it, it's a complex world out there, and it's impressive that you're finding ways to navigate this. By the way, this is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Elena Percival, who's the CEO of Women Who Code. If you'd like to join in the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Our number is one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, Elena, in addition to working with individuals and kind of um, enabling these teams around the globe, are you working directly with organizations? Yes. Um, so that's actually a key piece of what we do um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we can work with every single woman in the world, or we can work with uh, companies directly to help them better retain, promote, and hire women at their organizations and just achieve our mission much, much faster. Of course. Um, in addition to that, we are able to provide, um, you know, an 1,900 free technical events. We're able to give away, um, you know, $3 million in conference tickets and scholarships to our community. Uh, And we're able to do all of this, you know, almost completely free to our community. Almost almost all of our uh, 
everything we deliver to our community is is free. And we couldn't do that without the companies that support us. And so, one, we, the companies who support us are 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 definitely getting a return on their investment. We, <laughs> Undoubtedly. We yeah, we don't operate in a, a traditional um, nonprofit style. While we will accept donations, we actually focus on um, building revenue because we want companies uh, improving their practices. We want them to be um, having better teams and better practices around hiring and, and promoting women at their companies. So, how does that relate to your building revenue? Um, so we we do charge uh, companies for these uh, ah, that's smart consulting services. So we <laughs> okay. have a, a job board at womenwhocode.com. If you're looking to diversify your pipeline and you're not posting your jobs to the largest community of technical women in the world, you can be doing more. Um, we have events, and so companies can raise their profile. And we have partners like um, you know Capital One and Nike that people don't think of as being a uh, technology company, but they absolutely are. And so building that brand awareness and giving back to the community is usually a a huge um, goal for um, many of the partners who work with us. And then um, just broader, um, more strategic partnerships. So internal leadership training, um, making sure that your um, your job offering and your benefits offering are resonating with engineers from our community and, um, you know, getting software engineers to adopt and develop on on your platform, um, creating avenues for women internally at your company to accelerate their careers. All of those things are, um, are, are things we already do with partner companies. Yeah, and important at that. By the way, we have a call. Joe's calling in from New York. Joe, thanks so much for listening to Women at Work. What's on your mind? Hey guys, how you doing today? Just great. What's going on? Uh, so I had a question for you. I'm uh, recently moving into a management position. I'm the first time manager, and it's, obviously I'm in technology. I work for probably one of the big, I'd say, top ten technology companies out there. Engineering side, obviously very male dominated. You know, as a first time manager, maybe I was wondering if you guys give me some tips and pointers um, on managing women, and should it be treated? differently at all? Should I treat them exactly the same? I mean, I know obviously there's different things in their lives that could be going on with things like motherhood um, and just really look for some tips. Okay. So, Elena, what do you have to share with Joe? Yeah. So, I think that um, it, you end up treating all, all humans uh, differently um, when you're a manager of, of a team of people and so that's something to to always uh, be aware of and just to warn you this is a topic that I can go on and on about <laughs> for for a long uh, period of time so I'll just focus on some like kind of quick wins is um, one uh, manager that I um, connected with from the company Medium said that whenever he did company reviews, he specifically went back after he'd written the review and um, identified if there was any unconscious bias in any of the statements that he made. So, for example, he was pointing to um, a woman on the team and he said, oh, um, I, I didn't think she was as invested in the team as um, as some of her male counterpart or some of the other people on the team, I'll say. And then he thought about it, and she had a child, and she was going home at six o'clock every evening to um, to take care of uh, her family. But he hadn't 
included that in the male who did the exact same thing because it didn't it didn't um um that bias didn't exist for for the male employee and so that's you know just one one quick way to think you know how do i think differently uh, about um people make sure that you're um encouraging uh the women on your team to ask for a raise and ask for a promotion uh when when you see that it's time or um if you evaluate uh, the rate that other men at the company are are getting uh, those promotions, because women want them just as much, but they wait until they um, have all of the skills uh, before they start requesting um, those either pay increases or um, or promotions. And so, really, be on the lookout for advocating for them. Uh, people don't hear um, the successes of women in their careers the same way they hear the successes of men. It's a little uncomfortable for society to hear it, and it's a little uncomfortable for women to say it. And I um, like to use the example when I realized how important it was because I was speaking with a director of engineering, and she said to me, Elena, that statement's so true. I'm senior director of engineering now, and I've been embarrassed to add that to my LinkedIn profile which means, you know, you don't know to recruit her to be at your company. I don't know to ask her to join my board. You know, um, Laura doesn't know to ask her to come on her radio show. But if women are doing that every single step of their career, hey, I, um, you know, I led this team on this little project. I um, wrote this, you know, beautiful piece of code that is now running this really important thing that millions of uh, people are now using, you know, whatever it is in your career that if you're a little bit embarrassed to amplify, it's hard for managers to know to um, reward you for that. Yeah, Elena, I think those are all great suggestions. Um, Joe, a couple of things that I would add to it, some resources that you can turn to that you might find useful. Um, One, dare I say, and we've covered a lot of these on the show, which you can find on SoundCloud or old episodes. Um, But I'm going to give you um, five things, four things that you can turn to very easily. They're books and people and systems. So part of what Elena was talking about, um, about looking at everything from the language we use when we hire, when we do performance evaluations, and when we read resumes. There's a phenomenal um, platform called Textio that Kristen Snyder developed. And you, it's, it works almost like spell check, and you can run your job descriptions, your resumes, and your performance evaluations through them to make sure that you're not unknowingly using biased or gendered language. So I think Textio is an amazing thing that you, you know, build into your systems, and it can really change how things unfold from there. Um, And the other thing is, I also want to back up and say I really applaud your question. I think it's wonderful. Um, And then two other books, three books that I'd recommend. Um, One is by Iris Bonet, who is a behavioral um, scientist at Harvard. And it's a wonderful book about how you can engineer processes to avoid bias. Everything from how you interview to how you do performance evaluations to how you give raises. Um, Very easy to follow methods that engineer into how you operate um, ways that keep things neutral. And then um, another book I'd recommend for the working moms. Oh, and the book is What Works, Gender by Design. 
Um, another fantastic book is Joe is by Joanne Lippman. And Patty, maybe you can give me the title in a minute. Um, it came out last year. She's a Wall Street Journal um, uh, reporter, and it kind of picks up where Lean In left off, and it's specifically written for men so that you can understand what the experiences are and how to how to um, navigate them. And then the last two, one is called The Fifth Trimester by Lauren Smith Brody, a really amazing discussion of what you can do to help women who are coming back to work after having a baby. And then one that is written for women. It's very funny. It's really amusing. Um, It's The Feminist Fight Club. And even though it's written for women and it's got a hot pink spine, um, it will help you identify patterns that you are seeing amongst the men on your staff so that you can find your own ways of intercepting them. So, Joe, I know we just dumped a lot of information on you. And the book by Joanne Lippman is That's What She Said. Um, And so I hope that's helpful. Did we overwhelm you? No, I think that's great. I think that's, you know, very important. Uh, obviously, I want to stay as neutral as possible. In the back of my head, though, you know, obviously, I don't want to be gender biased either. So I think maybe reading some of those books will, will definitely help me out. And they're also um, really well-written, easy-to-read books, because we read a ton of them around here. And I think they're um, easy to digest and put to use. Um, and hopefully, you'll, you know, see yourself in them as one of the heroes. So, Joe, thanks so much for calling, really. And thank you for your efforts at being a good manager. We really appreciate it. If any of you would like to join in the conversation and get some more advice, you can reach us at one eight four four wharton That's 844-942-7866. And, Elena, I loved how you talked about all of those dimensions of how to make people feel welcome. I have a question for you about how you do that with your own staff. Because I noticed that you have a team of 50 on the web website, eight of which are men. So they're the underrepresented group. How do you help them feel welcome? Um, yeah, um, oddly enough, we we um, are having the reverse problem of we, we have to work really hard to make sure that men are represented um, at our organization because we believe that um, that diversity is, um, is where the value is, um, not, you know, one versus the other. And so... Um, you know, with that, we we definitely work to make sure the men on our our team uh, have a voice. Uh, we make sure that you know they know that they're welcome and important uh, members of the team. And so, yeah, it's it's funny. You you definitely touched on something that we we have uh, the reverse uh, struggle for is we want to make sure that we have that that diversity in our organization. Yes, it's um, and it's interesting. There's another book to recommend by Laura Lisswood called The Loudest Duck, and it was something that it gave. Um, it's part of what taught me to look at who's the dominant group, not which gender is the group, because it, it, that's the thing to be sensitive to. Um, what's the pattern that will emerge with the dominant group? What's the non-dominant group? And how do you make everybody feel welcome? So speaking of feeling welcome, Elena, with the last few minutes that we have, um, I noticed on your website that one of the things you have is an Applaud Her initiative. Could you tell us what that is? Yeah, um, that actually speaks to what I just mentioned, um, is where women feel a little uncomfortable talking about their career successes, and um, the world feels uh, a little uncomfortable hearing them. And so we're trying to normalize it. So we're trying to do a, a cultural shift of making it feel comfortable for our community and, and the world to be hearing about the successes of, uh, of women in their careers. And it's you know, just an amazing feeling of saying, hey, um, 
you know, I received this award, I launched this product, I, um, you know, did well at this, I wrote this book, I wrote this article, whatever it is, um, you know, everyone tends to do something exciting in their career several times uh, throughout the year. And just getting people comfortable talking about it is, is really important. So what happens? So let's say I did something that was cool. I enter it into the system, and then what happens? Yeah, so um, we, if you enter it into the system, we will include it in our, our newsletter. We share it on social media. So it really helps to amplify it, and it's a benefit to you. And, you know, just to show you how tough this is for um, women is we, um, one of our leaders uh, requested uh um, applaud hers for themselves, and she got no responses, absolutely no responses. And then she requested it again a couple weeks later and said, please applaud someone that you know who's had a career success, and immediately 200 responses. That's amazing. And so you can see how challenging it is to actually applaud yourself and, you know, <laughs> All of those women had something to applaud about themselves, but it's difficult to to applaud yourself. And so we're we're really trying to um, get it comfortable to hear about women's successes, but really she needs to be willing to talk about it herself. Right, because it's not just that she needs to own it and celebrate herself, but also by doing that, it helps other women see what they can be and achieve. And I have to say, we have to applaud you, Elena, for the amazing work you're doing with Women Who Code. If people want to get involved, um, how can they find you? Yeah, please uh, visit us at womenwhocode.com. We are also um, at Women Who Code on Twitter and slash Women Who Code on Facebook. That is fantastic. So check it out. It really is a rich website with lots of opportunities. Um, Thank you all so much for joining us, Joe. Thank you for calling in. If you have a question about anything you heard on today's show, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow us on Twitter at BizRadio132 and me at Laura Zarrow. Special thanks to Elena Percival. I'd also like to thank my beloved producer, Patty Hall, and my sound engineer, Jeffrey Simmons. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you have been listening to Women at Work on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Have a great week, everyone, and go applaud yourselves and each other. Take care.